All right. Well, good morning, church. Preschoolers, you are dismissed. Those of you going to the preschool class and everyone else, encourage you to open up to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. One of the uh, movies we used to watch growing up was a movie called Support Your Local Sheriff. Uh, anyone ever seen Support Your Local Sheriff? Okay, we've got some people. Um, it's, it's a comedy movie. I'm not necessarily recommending it. It has been a while since I've watched it, and uh, if you watch it and don't approve, you can uh, talk to my parents about that. They, I was a child when I watched it, so... Uh, but in this, in this movie, it's a, it's a comedy, and it's set in the, in the Wild West, and a man is going through a, a gold mining town, and he quickly realizes that he needs to get a job because he's running out of money. Everything's so expensive and hasn't found any gold or anything like that. And so he applies to be the sheriff because all the previous sheriffs have either been run out of town or been gunned down uh, in, this, in this town in the Wild West. And so he gets talked into the job. Uh, the town officials go and show him their, this brand new jail that they've just built. And they're so proud of it. The jail is great. There's all new stuff in there, new desk, nice office. Um, there's only one problem, and that is there are no metal bars in the jail cells. They're still waiting for the bars to get installed in the jail. It's just wide open. And so before the sheriff makes his first arrest, he has to get creative. And so he grabs some chalk and he draws a line uh, in front of the jail cell of chalk. He draws a line and then he takes some red paint and drizzles some red paint and kind of splatters it all over the floor. And upon making his first arrest, he places the man in the jail cell. Again, no no bars yet, no, no, no metal bars, nothing like that. And the man asks what the red stuff is on the ground. And the sheriff tells him that it's the unfortunate remains of the last person who crossed the line. And so you see the man kind of scurry into the corner of the jail cell and just sit there, you know, very obediently, not wanting to move, not wanting to come close to the chalk line at all. And it's, it is pretty humorous then as friends and family come to visit him in the jail, they can't understand why he is sitting in a jail with no bars at all. The window is right there, wide open. The door is wide open. He could easily walk and run right out into freedom, but he won't. He's stuck fearfully in the corner of the this little jail cell. And why is that? Well, it's because of a lie that he has believed. This lie that he has believed has made him so fearful that he's now stuck in a jail cell with no bars, nothing actually keeping him there. Freedom is right there, but he feels trapped and stuck because of a lie that he is believing. I wonder what lies you are believing this morning. And I wonder, because of those lies, what prison cells you find yourselves stuck in this morning. You see, I bring up that scene to you from this movie because I want to have that image in your mind as we start into Romans 12. The Apostle Paul is making a shift in Romans 12. The first 11 chapters of Romans, he's been telling us what is true. I mean, he's just been laying out this great theological truth and doctrine for us to enjoy. It's what we've been preaching through all last year. And now in Romans 12, he shifts and says, Therefore, in light of this truth, now here is what you must do. 
Here is now how you must live in light of this truth. And all throughout those first 11 chapters, he's been teaching us about the mercy and grace of God. And now he's going to say, in light of the mercies of God, now you are free to live and present your entire lives to God as a living sacrifice. You're not imprisoned to sin anymore, church. There are no bars on the cell. You're free to follow Christ and live. And yet many of us still feel stuck in the cell because of lies that are we are still are believing. And so if you feel stuck this morning in a prison cell of your own making because of the lies you are believing and telling yourself, this truth from God's word in Romans 12, it could absolutely change your life as God's word is going to call us in view of God's mercy to present our entire lives to God. And most of us, I think these are two very familiar verses. You've probably had these memorized and you hear me say, present your entire lives to to God. And you would probably say, yes and amen. I have done that. I have presented my entire life to God. But what we're going to see is that God's word gets even more specific here. And presenting our entire lives to God starts with and includes presenting our thought lives to God. Will you give your thought life to God this morning? Will Christ be Lord of your thoughts this morning? Or will you continue to sit and suffer in a prison cell of your own making that Christ has freed you from? But you sit there fearful because of the lies you are believing and the unfruitful thoughts that you have been thinking. This morning, will you give your lives and your thoughts to God? It is a big question and a big ask. We need to ask the Lord for his help. Let's, let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. May your word be a swift word this morning. May it go swiftly from our ears to our minds and from our minds to our hearts and from our hearts to our lips and may our entire lives be transformed this morning by your word. May all of us leave here and may all of us leave this place, exit this building as changed people because we have had an encounter with you. We stand in awe of you this morning. Help us be still and behold you. Give light to your word. Help me only say what you want me to say. May our minds be renewed. May our lives be transformed by the power of your Holy Spirit through the ministry of your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Will you give your lives, and your thoughts to God this morning. Well, if we're going to do this, we're going to need the right motivation. And here in verse 1, we see what the right motivation is. Look with me at Romans 12, verse 1. God's word says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies 
of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Paul is making an appeal to the church, to brothers and sisters, to true believers, to present their bodies as living sacrifices, and he tells us what the motivation should be, and that is the mercies of God. He appeals to them by the mercies of God. Well, what are the mercies of God? Well, let me encourage you to go back and read Romans 1 through 11. This is what we've been learning over these previous 11 chapters. We've been learning about the mercies of God. We've been learning that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've been learning that we all deserved God's wrath and judgment and condemnation, but that while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. And therefore, we have now been justified by faith, and we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We are now dead to sin and alive to God. You have now received the Holy Spirit and the ability to cry out to God and call Him your Father. And this was nothing that we deserved. We received this not because it was owed to us, but because of the mercies of God. Jesus Christ came and took what you deserved so that you could receive what he deserves. How merciful our God is, church. And it wasn't just a one-time thing either that he was merciful to us. No, his mercies are new every morning. And his mercies never come to an end. Oh, the mercies of God should change everything. They should change everything. They should change how you live. They should change how you think. They should change who you live for, and they should change who you think for. You see, this is where we can get off track in offering our life and our thought life to God, and it has to start here. What is your motivation in presenting your life and your thoughts to God? What's your motivation? Are you motivated because you've tasted and seen just how merciful God is? You see, this is not always some people's motivation. Some people try to offer their lives to God motivated by their pursuit of acceptance. They want to be accepted in the social circles that they run in. Maybe you grew up in a Christian home. Maybe all your friends are Christians. Everyone else is getting baptized, seems to be giving their life to God, and maybe you should too. And so you start to go through the motions of it, but you're never really gripped by the reality of the mercies of God that he has shown you. And so in your pursuit of acceptance, this, this motivates your life in public, to live publicly as a Christian, but you have no motivation to live as a Christian behind closed doors. And you have no motivation in your thought life because you can still be accepted by others in your Christian circle even if your thought life and your private life aren't necessarily following Jesus because they don't know what's going on there. And therefore you fail over and over to give your entire life and thought life to God because you're not being gripped and motivated by the mercies of God. 
Or maybe you've tried to offer your life to God motivated by fear. You're simply afraid of what will happen to you if you don't. And this motivates you for a while. Fear can motivate you for a while, but eventually it's exhausting and there's no joy there at all. And you begrudgingly spend time with the Lord, afraid of what will happen to you if you don't. And what these people end up doing is they usually end up trying to figure out what the bare minimum is they have to offer God in order for something bad to not happen to them in the end. Oh, you see, church, whether it's being motivated by acceptance or fear, guilt or shame, power or control, no motivation will truly empower you to offer your entire lives to God other than the mercies of God. I deserved death and separation from God, but Jesus came and took what I deserved so that I could receive from the Father what he deserves. And church, the greater your view is of the mercies of God, the greater your commitment to God will be. As you come to appreciate and see the mercies of God as greater and greater, so too you will have a greater and more joyful desire to give all to him. Paul is appealing to the believers in light of the mercies of God. And look what he's appealing for them to do in light of the mercies of God. Look with me at verse 1. He says, to present their bodies. To present their bodies. Now, it is really interesting that Paul uses bodies here. Uh, because a lot of the Romans, uh, much like us, would, would have been influenced by Greek philosophy, which taught that the body was bad and only the spirit or the soul w- were good. And therefore, you could do whatever you wanted with your body as long as your heart was in the right place. And this was what some of the Gnostic false teachers were teaching, a similar thing. You could go on sinning with your body because it's just your spiritual life that really matters. But Paul says, no, in view of God's mercy, your spiritual worship consists of you presenting your bodies and your entire life to God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. God's mercies call for nothing less than a complete surrender and offering of our entire selves to God. There's a story told on one Sunday at a church gathering. They were passing around the offering plate, and a girl was sitting on the aisle. And this little girl took the offering plate. She placed it on the floor, and then she stepped up, and she stood in the offering plate. And the usher asks her what she's doing, like what's, what's going on here. She says, well, the pastor said I was supposed to give my entire self to God. Steps up into the offering plate. Now, we don't have an offering plate, but uh, we do have an old wooden offering box. Now, kids, who thinks they can fit in that old wooden box? Any kids think so? Now, please do not try. Please do not try, okay? It is an old wooden box. We're not even really sure where it came from, but it's just, it's been here. Okay, all right, all right. But that's the picture, right? That's That's the mindset, 
of offering our entire selves to God, our physical bodies, our minds, our hearts, all of us, because of the mercies of God, are to be given and offered up entirely to him. Paul says, this is your spiritual worship. Now, this is one of the rare cases where I don't think the ESV is the most helpful Your ESV Bible probably even puts a little note in here where it says spiritual worship. This word spiritual, it most literally means logical or reasonable or rational. He's saying the only logical and reasonable response to the mercies of God is to offer our entire lives in service to him. To not do that is crazy. It's irrational to not do that. That's, it's, it's unreasonable for all these mercies of God to be poured out on you and you hold something back from him. If that's true, you're crazy. I say that in love. You're crazy. But sin makes us crazy, doesn't it? It makes us a little irrational. Sin makes us unreasonable. We shouldn't be surprised by this. Anyone who isn't giving their entire lives to God is a little irrational and unreasonable. The only reasonable response to the mercies of God is to put our entire selves in the offering box and not hold anything back from the Lord. My prayer is that the Lord which show us even right now in this moment what we are holding back from him. You know what I'm saying. Some of us, we just have things that not ready to turn over to the Lord. We're holding something back from him. What's that in your life right now? In view of God's mercies, we are to put our entire selves in that offering box. But how are we to do this? Well, first, we have to come with the right motivation in view of the mercies of God, like we've been talking about. But now Paul is going to tell us that we need to be completely transformed. And this transformation talk, the word shows up in verse 2, but really he starts alluding to it in verse 1 when he brings up the idea of a living sacrifice. That word sacrifice, it should remind us of the sacrificial system that God uh, instituted back in the Old Testament. Before Jesus came as the true lamb of God, the people and the priests were to offer up different animal sacrifices to God. The first type of offering that the priests would offer up would, would be a sin offering. The blood of an animal would be smeared on the altar. It would be sprinkled on the, the holy, in the Holy of Holies. It was to be offered as a sacrifice for sin and to purify the people from their sin. Now, that's not the sacrifice Paul is calling us to be. Jesus was our sin offering. Amen? He was our sin offering. But the next offering God had the people offer was a burnt offering or the ascension offering. And this is more likely what Paul is getting at when he calls us to be a living sacrifice. You see, what would happen in the burnt offering is the whole animal would be completely burned up. 
and one could say transformed into smoke that ascended up to God as a pleasing aroma. It was in this offering that the worshiper offered a renewed commitment to the Lord of complete dedication to him. The entire burning of the animal, it signified the giving of one's whole life back to God. Now, thanks be to God, because of Jesus, we don't have to sacrifice animals anymore. Jesus was our sin offering. And in light of the mercies of God, we are called to offer up our entire selves as a living burnt offering, being transformed from one degree of glory to another as we live and ascend into the presence of God. In light of the mercies of God, the only reasonable response is to offer our entire lives and thoughts to God. And the only way this is possible is if our lives are lives that are being transformed. Transformed. Because at the end of the day, you are either being conformed to this world or you are being transformed by God. Which one defines your life right now? Which one defines your past week right now? Being conformed to this world or being transformed by God? If you want to offer your entire life to God, you've got to pay attention to the verse here in in verse 2. Look with me now at Romans 12, verse 2. God's word says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Let's talk about what it means to be conformed versus to be transformed as Paul is using it here in Romans 12, verse 2. To be conformed means to be simply formed into a pattern or mold, right? To be externally just kind of fit into the pattern or mold of something. Uh, When I think of what this looks like in real life, when I think of what it looks like to be conformed, um, I think of high school. And I don't know what high school was like for you. I went to a large high school. This is what things looked like. Uh, The athletes all had their letter jackets on, and they kind of all did the same thing, looked the same way, right? The band kids all had their band jackets on, and they kind of did the same thing, looked the same thing. And then you had kind of the rebels, the alternative kids that said they were not going to conform to all this. But in the end, they ended up all dressing the same and looking the same, wearing black and skateboarding and wearing vans and things like this, right? So at the end of the day, you had just everyone kind of being conformed to different groups. And being conformed to this world, listen, in the human condition, this is just default mode for us. If we're not thinking about it, if we're not intentional about it, we are just being conformed to what's around us. If you've flipped your thought life into cruise control, which everyone check, check your dashboard right now. Have you flipped your thought life into cruise control? Is the cruise control light on? I don't know what, I was just seeing if there was any, if you guys did any, what you would do to check your dashboard, but no one did anything, so that's Okay. But if you have flipped your thought life into cruise control, you are being conformed to this world. Think with me for a moment. 
What are some ways you are being conformed to this world? Are you thoughtlessly starting to pursue what everyone else around you is pursuing? Are you thoughtlessly starting to fear what everyone else around you is fearing? Are you thoughtlessly starting to be angry about what everyone else around you is angry about? Are you thoughtlessly starting to believe what everyone else around you is believing? How have you this past week started to conform to the ways of this world? Here God's word is telling us, hey, in view of God's mercies, offer yourselves completely to God. And one of the ways you do that is by not conforming to this world. And Christians can hear that, and I think maybe even many of you can hear that. You can say yes and amen, and you go out from here all fired up to not conform to this world. And sadly, this is where many people stop in offering their lives to God. But listen, church, nonconformity is not the ultimate goal. Nonconformity is not the ultimate goal. It's not the only way we offer up ourselves to God. It's a part of it, but nonconformity is not the ultimate goal here. Transformation is. Now, to be transformed means for your condition and character to be fundamentally changed. You're not just being molded externally. You are being changed from the inside out. It's a word that, that's very similar to our English word metamorphosis. Think of a caterpillar transforming into a butterfly. That is transformation. Transformation is what should mark the life of a Christian who has experienced the mercies of God. Anyone can conform to things that are happening around them. Transformation is the mark of the life of a Christian who has encountered the mercies of God. I mean, think about it. Haven't you known people that have fit the mold of who we in our culture think of as what a good Christian person should look like, only later on to find out that their hearts were so far from the Lord? We've all known and seen people that have even fit the mold of what we think a Christian in the suburbs in the Midwest should look like, only later on to find that they don't love the Lord at all. And you think, how can this be? Well, you see, they were all about nonconformity to the world, which is a good thing, but that's all they were about. They simply wanted to shelter their family from the world and simply conform to the little American Christian version mold they thought was right, but they were not motivated by the mercies of God and no transformation was taking place in their hearts and minds. You see, even in Christian circles, we can by default conform to a certain mold. And it's not always bad. 
You see someone and admire someone and respect someone and you try to imitate your life after them, develop the habits you see in their, their life and in their family. That's not always bad. We should, we should be setting good examples for one another, following examples of one another. It, it's not all bad. But listen, if transformation is not happening as well, you're missing out on what God has actually called you to. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. And Paul, he writes, be transformed. You know how he writes this? He writes it in the passive tense, meaning that this is something that happens to us by the power of the Holy Spirit. But just because it's something passive that happens to us by the power of the Holy Spirit, it doesn't mean we don't play a part in this transformation. Yes, this transformation happens by the power of the Spirit, but it happens through us pursuing the renewal of our minds. You see, when we set our minds on God's Word and God's will, the Holy Spirit works to renew our minds and transform our lives so that we can offer up ourselves as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, so that we can discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And here's where I want to focus in on our thought lives, because I believe that it is our, as our thought lives are renewed and transformed, then we will be free to give ourselves completely to God which he'll continue to work out throughout these next couple chapters of Romans. What, the, what does this look like to give yourselves completely to God? What does it look like to use your gifts amongst one another and to show hospitality and to love one another genuinely and to live amongst our culture and, and respect the civil government? I mean, he, he, we're going to keep talking about this. What does this look like to give our lives completely to God? But today, we must first start and see that it starts with the renewal of our minds. Because I'm concerned, just like the Apostle Paul was when he wrote to the Corinthians, that our thoughts are being led astray. This is a verse we'll have up on the screen, 2 Corinthians eleven three. When I read this, I just I resonated with this. I, I, it cut to the heart. I've been praying for you these last few weeks. Paul writes, I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. I have this same fear for us and for your thought life. And I've been praying for your protection, for God to expose lies, for truth to win in your mind. And let's talk about some of the thoughts that could lead us astray. Because how we think very much affects how we live. And our thoughts could lead us astray. Let's, let's talk about what these thoughts could be. Let's put them in three categories. First category, sinful thoughts. This is probably the most obvious one, the one you'd think of as we think of thoughts that would lead us astray. Sinful thoughts. 
It's the first category, the obvious type that hinders our transformation. It keeps us from being able to discern the will of God. It, in, the, these sinful thoughts imprison us and keep us from living joyfully and freely as living sacrifices to God. Whether it's lustful thoughts, covetous thoughts, murderous and angry thoughts, jealous thoughts, setting our minds on sinful thoughts, this obviously leads us astray. Every adultery that has ever been committed has started in the thought life of an individual. Every murder that was ever been committed started with angry and murderous thoughts. Sinful thoughts will lead us astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. That's the first category. Second category of thoughts that could lead us astray are this. They are unfruitful thoughts. These are thoughts that I might not be able to point you to a verse and reference and call them sin, but essentially these are thoughts that are not helpful at all to think about. They do not bring about good fruit in your life or in the lives of anyone else. I mean, what thoughts are you thinking that just haven't produced anything good in your life? A study was done in 2015. It's so... I, I, I don't know exactly how they came to this result, but they, they did a, a, a pretty good study and found that 85% of the things we worry and stress about never actually happen. 85%, which makes so much more sense that someone would once say, my life has been filled with terrible misfortune, most of which never happened. Some of you have actually experienced terrible misfortune in your life. I'm not trying to belittle that. I'm just saying so much of what we torture ourselves with are in our, it's in our minds. It's in our thoughts. These aren't things that have actually even happened. They're unfruitful thoughts. Now hear me out. This doesn't mean that we are to only think about rainbows and butterflies and unicorns. I didn't come to present a positive thinking seminar to you this morning. But this does mean that even dwelling on something bad or evil in the past or the present, dwelling on it should produce something fruitful or helpful in your life. And if it doesn't, then it's unfruitful thinking. And life is too short to be full of unfruitful thinking. Right? So if, if you're watching the news and you're dwelling on what's going on in the world, if this is causing in you anger and despair, it's unfruitful thinking. Now, that doesn't mean watching the news is bad. Someone can watch the news, and as they're watching the news, they're thinking, oh, man, I need to be praying for my leaders. I need to be training and discipling my kids, helping them discern truth from lies. That would be fruitful thinking as you watch the news. Dwelling on something that someone did to you in the past. A way that they hurt you. It's unfruitful unless it causes you to pursue forgiveness and reconciliation and God uses it to sanctify you. If all it's doing is causing you to sin, you're not ready in that moment to be thinking about it. Stop that thought in its tracks. Submit it to Christ. 
Set your mind on something else. The wonderful thing about the minds God has given us is they can only think about so many things at once. Are we thinking unfruitful thoughts? The third category of thoughts that are leading us astray are lies we are telling ourselves. Many of us, we've told lies to to people in the past. But if I had to bet, the person you lie to the most is probably yourself. And so let me list for you some of the more common lies that we are currently thinking that are keeping us from giving ourselves completely to God. How about this one? I can't change. This is just the way I am. You ever told yourself this or believe this? Now listen, we all have different backgrounds, different upbringings, different genetics. There are certainly some things that I might have a propensity to struggle with more or less than you and you more or less than me. There might be some things you struggle with your entire life. But in light of the mercies of God, in regards to our thoughts and our emotions and our actions, the thought of, I can't change, this is just the way I am, that is not true. Jesus came, lived, died, was raised, ascended to the throne to free you from this lie. When he walked out of the grave, everything changed for you. The Father and the Son then sent the Spirit into your life to empower you to change. You cannot spend time with the Lord and you cannot dwell upon the mercies of God and not change. That is a mark of every person that has ever encountered the Lord. You go all throughout Scripture. Anytime someone is with the Lord, they are changed. And so if that is a lie that you are believing... You need to start telling yourself truth. Like maybe from 2 Corinthians 3.18, which says, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. It might not be a complete change overnight in this life until Christ returns. It might be little incremental changes. But to say that I can't change, this is just the way I am, that is a lie. One of my heroes in the faith, Martin Lloyd-Jones, he once said this. He said, have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself. We must stop listening to the lies we are telling ourselves or that we are hearing from the enemy, and we must start telling ourselves. We must start talking to ourselves truth. Truth to one another, truth to ourselves, truth here on a Sunday morning. But one of the best ways to do this on your own throughout the week, is to meditate on Scripture. 
Now, that word meditation, it can be used in different connotations, and it's been hijacked a little bit. So non-believers, non-Christians, or, or Eastern uh, uh, false religions, things like that, they talk about a meditation as trying to empty your mind. That is not what I'm talking about. Christian meditation is filling your mind with truth. Filling your mind with truth. It means you go and you read the scriptures. And I know many of you, you've got Bible reading plans. You're reading through books of the Bible. You're reading through large portions of scripture. And that's great. You need to do that. We need to be people that read the word. But then what you need to do before you close your Bible and walk away, you need to take a nugget from that passage you just read. You need to take a verse or a truth or a word or something from that. And you need to take that with you and chew on it all day long. You need to pray through it, set your mind on it, dwell on it. You need to write down that truth, maybe in a concise way, in your own words, so you can keep telling yourself that truth all throughout the day. Every time a sinful thought comes into your mind, every time an unfruitful thought comes into your mind, every time you start telling yourself a lie you've believed in the past, no, you counterattack with truth that you are meditating on, you're setting your mind on, you're chewing on. I'm telling you, such a, this is such a fruitful practice of renewing your mind, experiencing transformation. Take in Scripture, yes, but then meditate on the truth from God's Word. We've tried to resource you to do this. We've, we've added some books to our church bookstore out there in the lobby that I encourage you to look at. Uh, one of the books out there is called How to Eat Your Bible. Uh, which I just, I love the, the title of that, but essentially, how do we internalize this? How do we take this and not just study it, but actually digest it? How do we take it in? Another book out there, Spiritual Disciplines by, by Don Whitney, right, going through all the different spiritual disciplines, and he has a great chapter in, it, chapter in there on meditating on Scripture, different ways to really set our minds on and digest and chew on Scripture, There's another book out there, Praying the Scriptures for Spiritual Growth, different ways that you guys want to grow, things you want God to free you from. He's just got lists of Scriptures that you can just go to and pray through those things. We must be a people who are chewing on God's Word and truth and meditating on it, setting our minds on it, not just speed reading it and then moving on with our day. Well, what are, what are some other lies or unfruitful thoughts we are thinking or telling ourselves? How about this one? I am a failure and I will always fail. This is one I've struggled with in the past. One that I tell my, have told myself many times in the past. And therefore, every time you start something new and something just starts to go wrong, you think, oh, well, here we go again. Here we go again. This always happens to me, right? I always fail. Starts to go this way. Now it's all falling apart. And this is, this is one of the lies I was telling myself and believing. And you know what? It made it so difficult for me to receive any sort of criticism or feedback from anyone because they would come with some loving feedback or criticism. And all I would hear is just, I'm a failure and I will always fail. And you're just confirming that. You're just telling me I have failed and I will always fail. It was a lie. And I don't believe it anymore. And therefore, I can, I can take feedback and criticism. I can hear it and realize 
Yeah, I've got shortcomings. I've got ways I've failed. But because of the mercies of God, in light of the mercies of God, I can change and I can grow. I read this week that... uh, I believe it was Ruth, Ruth Graham, Billy Graham's wife, had, had uh, on her tombstone, she had uh, taken a, a, a construction sign that she saw, saw one time. She was driving through a construction zone, and at the end of the zone, there was this sign that said, uh, construction ended, thank you for your patience. And she put that on her tombstone. So if you don't have your tombstone written, that would be a great one. Construction ended, thank you for your patience. You're not a failure and will always fail. In light of the mercies of God, we can change. We can grow. And if someone tells you something long enough, and even if you tell yourself something long enough, you do start to believe it. Starts to create these pathways in your brain that you just instinctively go down without even giving thought to. But here's the wonderful thing about our minds. They can be renewed. God's word says it. Neuroscientists confirm it. If you want to go look into all that. God's word says it. The mind can be renewed. And just like the lies can create pathways in our brains, the truth of God's word can create pathways as well. Therefore, anytime I start to think, hey, I'm a failure and I will always fail, I've got the truth of God's word ready to counterattack that. And I say, no, self, in view of God's mercies, I can change, I can grow, I have failed, but in Christ I ultimately win. And God's going to work all things together for my good, even my failures. What are some other lies we tell ourselves? How about this one? Uh, If it weren't for this person or this thing, I would be happy. Right, Kind of that mindset of there's always someone or something in my way of me being joyful in the Lord. (laughs) All the while, you know, we have tons now of Christian biographies. You've read people who are in prisons, uh, uh, lost families, uh, suffering persecution, and they're all joyful in the Lord. But we're like, no, if it's just this one thing, if not for that or this person, I would be happy in the Lord. We tell ourselves nothing good ever happens to me. If you're believing that, you missed all of Romans 1 through 11. Lots of good things have happened for you in Christ. We tell ourselves, I am helpless and I am hopeless. We tell ourselves, everything happening in the world is terrible. We tell ourselves, people are always out to get me. And the lies you tell yourself, they change the way you live. The lies you are telling yourself are tricking you into living like a prisoner instead of as a free living sacrifice to God. Think, think with me for a moment. If you arrived at church and one of the greeters pulled you aside and said, hey, just a heads up, no one in there likes you. And at some point, they're going to find out who you really are and they'll want you to leave. Imagine if one of our greeters said that to you right before you walked in. Now, wouldn't that change how you lived and thought when you entered into this room? Every look someone gave you, you'd read into it and assume the worst. Oh, you see all those dirty looks I got. Every statement I made, you'd think I was suddenly trying to get you out of here. Free up the parking lot a little bit. 
every time someone didn't come to talk to you or quickly respond to a text, you'd think, they must really be plotting something against me right now. And I realize that's maybe a bit extreme example. I know none of our greeters would do that to you. And yet some of you told yourself that same thing before you came in here. Or something very similar to it. And all you've done is you've made a little prison for yourself because of lies that will keep you from giving yourself completely to Christ and his body, the church. And this is important, church. A line in the sand has to be drawn. Either you take your thoughts captive for Christ or they are going to take you captive. There is no live and let live in the war for your thought life. Paul in 2 Corinthians 10 Verse 3, he says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Either you take your thoughts captive to obey Christ or they will take you captive. And I don't want to live like a prisoner anymore. And I don't want you to live like a prisoner anymore. In light of the mercies of God, we are free. Free to live for God. Free to love God and others with our entire selves. But remember, church, as I, as I wrap things up here, remember, no motivation will truly empower you to offer your entire lives to God other than the mercies of God. You must keep the mercies of God at the forefront of your mind. The greater your view of the mercies of God, the greater and more joyful your commitment to God will be. Every thought that comes through your mind must be viewed in light of the mercies of God. Someone wrongs you, and you start going down those pathways in your mind. Something, someone just wronged me again. But wait a minute, hold up. Put the mercies of God at the forefront of your mind, and now that changes everything. In light of the mercies of God, oh man, I, could, I just got wronged, but you know what? I deserved so much worse. And God has been so merciful to me. And now I have the opportunity to be so merciful to them. Either I take this thought captive to Christ or it takes me captive. Are the mercies of God in your view every day with every thought that comes through your mind? Are you being conformed to this world or are you being transformed by the renewal of your minds? Jesus said, if you are truly my disciples, you will abide in my word and you will know the truth and you will think the truth, and the truth will set you free. Church, what thoughts are sinful right now that you are thinking, that are taking up your thought life right now? What thoughts are unfruitful that you're dwelling on, not bringing about any good in your life or in the lives of others? And church, what lies 
Is God maybe even right now helping you identify and call out and what truth are you replacing it with in your mind? Oh, church, Christ has offered himself for us in view of the mercies of God. The only right response is to offer our entire lives and thought lives back to him. Let's pray.